On the morning of the 29th, Gilman awaked into a maelstrom of horror. The instant he opened his eyes, he knew something was terribly wrong, for he was back in his old garret room, with the slanting wall and ceiling, sprawled on the now unmade bed. His throat was aching inexplicably, and as he struggled to his sitting posture, he saw with growing fright that his feet and pajama bottoms were brown with caked mud. For the moment, his recollections were hopelessly hazy, but he knew at least that he must have been sleepwalking. Sort of like how some filmmakers sleepwalk through the job of adapting the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 1968's The Crimson Cult, uh, written by Mervyn Heisman and Henry Lincoln and directed by Vernon Sewell. And um, as maybe you could tell from the opening quote, this is a loose, and I want to stress the term loose, adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House. And um, James, three things I can say about this film. It's got dreams, it's got a witch, and it's got a house. (laughs) It it, it does. I mean, I mean... the, the difference between a house of what I what I thought of for the witch house and this one is like this one's like a freaking estate this one's like <laughs> yeah. a mansion with yeah. hidden rooms and stuff um and it's very trippy at some point the dream the dreams have some cool kind of cool like not effects but like you know like 1968 it's you know hippie 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 time um especially in England England, like, well, we'll get into something that uh, I have to joke about with when we when we're introduced to the uh, the titular house. Um, but yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> the the witch house, the witch manor, the witch state, whatever you want to call it. Um, it, it it's it's much more than a a kind of a decrepit, broken down historic boarding house that is depicted in Lovecraft's short story. Um, and this, I mean, a bit of context on this movie, I suppose. It was produced by the quote-unquote hammer wannabes Tygon. Um, that made yeah. A, yeah. They made a wide range of films from uh, sexploitation to low-budget horror. Um, this was originally entitled Curse of the Crimson Altar, and then it was renamed for its 1970 U.S. release, which allegedly removed a lot of the S&M elements and edited the sex scene as though if those are thrown back in, this would be an entirely different revelatory experience um it's this is a this is a weird one i know when we talked to uh, brian and gwen um from the hp lovecraft film festival they mentioned this one and i think brian mentioned it as one that he thought was kind of cool and psychedelic it's certainly psychedelic and on, oh, yeah. on paper like i was excited about it because christopher lee michael goff boris karloff and then barbara Steele, and yeah. Heavyweights right there. Yeah, especially in the genre circle. This was a, a Boris Karloff's last British film. He he made a couple of movies. He had already finished shooting Targets, which was Bogdanovich's first movie. Mm-hmm. And then he did a few Mexican films after this, but this was the last like British film that he would do before he was he before he passed away. Um and if you want uh if you've not seen this film and you want to kind of get a sense of what we're dealing with here. Um, here are two things. One, Christopher Lee said it was the worst film, one of the worst films of his career, and Christopher Lee has been in a lot. He was in a, yeah, he was in a lot, and another film that he considers the worst film he's ever done was, uh, Howling 2, My Sister's, Your Sister is a Werewolf, (laughs) which I love that film, but, um, yeah, but he also did The Stupids. Oh my god. 
with Tom Arnold. I, so yeah, so he's done he's done he's done some Drek in his time. Like <laughs> yeah. the Stupids is the one I'm calling Drek, not Howling Two. I love that movie. Or, but, or the Satanic Rites of Dracula, which despite its name, I actually quite enjoy. Oh yeah, I enjoyed that one too. But Christopher Lee, if <laughs> to go on a little tangent about Christopher Lee, uh, Malcolm McDowell was recently on the Gilbert Gottfried podcast. Okay, and it, it's a two part episode fantastic conversation Malcolm McDowell is just so much fun happy like poking fun in himself and stuff and but he talks about Christopher Lee mm-hmm. that I forgot what movie they did together in like it might have been the 80s and he says because he asked you know Gilbert Gottfried asked him about Christopher Lee how was he he's like oh that guy could talk about himself for fucking hours <laughs> he's like he's like if you were in a car ride with him all he would do for those three hours was talk how amazing he was, <laughs> how everything he did was perfect, and and, and and hearing that, it's just always funny to me knowing that's how Christopher Lee was, and then him looking at movies that he did as all oh, well that was a piece of shit that I did, mm-hmm. that was that was a paycheck, but I mean Lee is barely in the film, yeah, so maybe that's a good thing for him, you know, but and also he's I mean. I mean, I'll say this: all the actors in the movie are good. Like they, sure. they are. There's, there's no like, oh, that person was terrible. Like my, my, you know, Michael Gauff. Like I love. I mean, every time I see him, I just think of Alfred. Of course. And and I almost think of this like if he doesn't spoil alert, he dies in this, but uh, off screen, like a lot of the people in this movie die. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> or behind something. Yeah, sure. And, and you make and you make a good point in one of the notes, which I'll let you say later. But um, I kind of like like I almost think of this as if he doesn't die in this as a Alfred like this is Alfred's job before he went to Wayne Manor. <laughs> he had to deal with this freaking witch cult, <laughs> which is why Alfred has like all these ways to like help Batman, even with some of the occult stuff later on. <laughs> I I haven't seen a whole lot of Michael Goff stuff like before, obviously before. Uh, mm. Batman and, and that kind of stuff. So when I saw him, I was like, wait, um, is John Hurt in this movie? And then I realized, like, no, that's Michael Goff. And just how similar they looked, especially when they were younger. Kind of, yeah. Like, it's weird. And he has, it was funny, when I was telling my, my girlfriend about this movie, and I said, oh, Michael Goff. And she goes, who? I'm like, because <laughs> she doesn't really know names and stuff. Like, I go, oh, well, you know him as a little role he played, you know, Alfred. She, she's like, oh, my God, he must have been... Super young, yeah. I'm like, yeah, but he always looked kind of old. He did. He, he has like an old face, he does. you know. Like even when he was young, you know. There's certain actors that, when they get older, like, oh, I wonder what he looked like when he was younger. And some, you know, you go, oh wow, he looks super different. Mm-hmm. Him, not so much. He just got a little skinnier over time. But like, you know, and then of course, worked with T- Tim Burton a lot, you know. And like, I mean, hell, he was in the Hammer horror film. Like he was in the original Dracula. So that's why. Yeah. You know, it's a, so yeah, it has this movie, Tygon. I'm not, you know, like it's funny, they're hammer wannabes, but they worked out of the hammer house. Yeah. yeah. Which is so weird. Like, like, because this film feels like a hammer wannabe. It does. It's trying. Like, it's got Christopher Lee. Okay, there. And he's got some other British actors that, you know, Barbara Steele, who was with, you know, doing just everything, you know, like. And, and I think she's a waste in this film. Like, I love Barbara Steele. But, oh, yeah. like, 
one of the one of the most beautiful women to ever be on screen, and you have her in terrible blue makeup. Oh yeah. And that's it. Like like you don't see like you know what I mean. It's just like to me a waste. And the reverberating echo voice. Right. Every everything about her character, um, Lavinia, this this witch of of ancient lore and of, of this family mm-hmm. line. We're told everything about her instead of us like right. really seeing anything. So <clears throat> Barbara Steele doesn't have a whole lot to do. Christopher Lee doesn't have a whole lot to do. The only one I think that really comes away with some dignity is Boris Karloff is doing oh, yeah. really good work. Um, Especially and it, he was suffering from pneumonia yeah. during this shoot. <laughs> yeah, pneumonia and, and arthritis, which is why he was in, in a wheelchair. wheelchair the whole time. So, yeah, yeah he gives it class. He, you know, he's just – I mean, uh, Boris Karloff. Like, I'm glad – he got to like even in his older age, got to still almost like outact everybody, like yeah. just with such charm. You know what I mean? Like because even throughout the whole film, he plays it so well that you're like, is he in on it, or yeah. is he just mm-hmm. creepy, or is he just that kind of like intellectual that almost like he likes to play like like with his knowledge, and then like by the end we see how he really is, and you're like, oh okay, that kind of makes sense. He just was kind of acting weird like he has the mute bodyguard like like driver <laughs> chauffeur chauffeur what that like, he's like everything for him you know <laughs> and then like it just it's it's weird like it, it's a weird film it's yeah like yeah i don't know like i i wanted to like be more positive about it and like i i enjoy it for what it is it's a to me it's one of those films it's like you if it was on like tcm and you go, oh, what's this movie with Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee? I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down and watch this. Afterwards, you go, okay, that was, that was all right. Um, I'm not gonna like go out of my way to like, you know, scream to the heavens. Oh, this is a missed, you know, like you need to see this film. This is a, an amazing, Love Lovecraft adaptation, but it's barely that. Yeah, it, it's it's one of the it's one of the first, I believe. Um... The first yeah. one is what we'll be covering next time, uh, mm-hmm. and, and which is which is that's a, an adaptation of uh, Charles Dexter Ward. So you can see how being one of the first, they're kind of like we're going to take the parts that we want to work with and, and change it around. And, and and I'm in in one way like it kind of I mean they're the the bones of dreams in the witch house are here. You know, a man staying in an old residence is haunted by, you know, dreams involving a witch that's historically connected to the place. So the bones are there, but it's so different that it kind of makes me wonder, like, how ubiquitous Lovecraft's story really was, and which is why when we when we think back to the conversation we had with David Bax about uh, Stuart Gordon's adaptation, how he thought this might actually be a good entryway into Lovecraft because of how, um, because of how that story wasn't so focused on Lovecraft's mythology and his mythos but you know kind of incorporated other mainstream religion and philosophical and mathematical elements that like had more of a broader appeal if you were so i could see how they'll take this and be like you know what it's it's 1960s people love psychedelic shit they love sex they love hippies let's let's throw that in there and um yeah and and like you said christopher lee listen I I could understand how he was very high on himself. I I'm not saying I justify that, but like that guy who had that history and you know, he was Dracula, he was Saruman, he was in Star Wars, like this guy I'm sure has stories and I would have been fascinated to listen to them. But when there's a guy that's that into himself, 
it carries weight when he says, one, this is one of the worst movies he was ever a part of. And when he also um, spoke highly of Boris Karloff's professionalism in, in yes. this acting, which, yeah, Karloff. So if Karloff's doctor is sort of like, I mean, if every Lovecraft story has the Lovecraft surrogate of like that scientific intellectual guy who's very insular and then eventually finds out that his reality is not what he comes to believe. You have to believe Karloff's character is kind of the Lovecraft surrogate of that person who also is kind of a dick. When Bob yeah. says he, you know, he's not as effusive with the the uh, bourbon that he would like, he's, he's he kind of turns on. He's like, is that all you have to say about it? Yeah, he's so like insulted. And then and then there's a scene later on when um, he goes there to speak to him, and Karloff thinks he's there to look at all his cool. Mm-hmm. Like which the you know knives and stuff. And he's like, oh, I'm not really here for that. I'm here to talk to you. He's like, he looks so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, wait, you're here just to talk. To, like, fine, let's sit back down because you know you 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 got me to get up and walk, and I'm in pain, you son <laughs> of a bitch. <laughs> and you know it's funny in that scene i felt so bad for him because you have to imagine he's like yeah. someone wants to talk about my antiques and my occult wares and the guy's like no no shut up i'm not here for that and just like oh i thought oh. i had a friend and he didn't <laughs> um, so it speaks to karloff that's like that's the guy like oh okay I, i'm interested in him where's this fucking antiques dealer i i couldn't i couldn't care less about what he was up to and yeah it, and i I don't think this is a a bad movie. It's it's right. it's pretty boring though. Like there's nothing that really keeps me intrigued, which is funny cuz one of the main differences between what gets us into the Lovecraft story versus what gets us into this is instead of this existentially dreadful kind of supernatural story, this one's sort of a there's a mystery where it's like, "Oh, what happened to Bob's brother?" and that's going to get us involved in this, but then Right. Who is Bob's brother? Why should we care? And also, correct me if I'm wrong, we never learn what happens to Bob's brother, so it's kind of a MacGuffin? Well, well, well what's confusing about all that is this. Okay, so we're introduced technically to his brother in the beginning when we see him making a pact with Lavinia. He signs okay, himself. Okay, yeah, I forgot about so that. So that's the brother. Okay. Okay, so, the, so no, but I'm saying, so that's the brother. You go, okay, now he's in league with the witch. Mm-hmm. So... Bob's trying to find Peter, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're seeing... And then, like, it's confusing because, you know, um, Michael Gauss character says, oh, he's dead. Okay, so then you're like, is he really dead, or does he mean that he's dead from whatever? But then, even Boris Karloff's character, who ultimately isn't evil, mentions that Bob is the last in the line of the Mannings. Mm-hmm. But how would he know that? Because <laughs> that's why I thought he was evil originally. I'm yeah. like, oh, that was that was a tell. He actually knows that his brother's dead. But then, even at the end, when he's explaining about the whole, basically, he's explaining the ramifications of Christopher Lee's character and blah blah blah. He says it again that oh, because you were the last in line. But it's like, but you already said that earlier. Like, it, it just seemed like, I don't know if that was intentional to kind of give you, like, oh, is he really bad? But I don't think it even had that insight. Well, I think it's it's probably trying to play into that because there seems to be an element in this movie of, is this witch stuff real or is it just right. dreams? And because that, and that's primarily 
communicated to us through two things. The beginning opening title card talking about psychedelics, which has no yes. fucking connection seemingly to the rest of the movie because no, like like it's like like what what does that even give me? Oh, thanks for the thanks for the heads up uh, movie, and then we get the party right in the beginning because. That's it. Yeah, now, if you have that, then maybe give us a scene where people are ingesting hallucinogens and sort of, but there, there's none of that. Um, no. And then there's the scene later on where Bob discovers a secret passage in his room and that upstairs attic space and finds the masks, which right. I interpreted that as sort of a, um, like this really did happen, but it was kind of a setup sort of thing. Or I, I don't know. Well, but those are but those are basically the two elements: the opening title card and this right. discovery of which seem to play into this question of is this real or is this fake? So Karloff's character saying that it was I guess supposed to be playing up into that. Except if you have that opening where we see Bob's brother, right, right, you know, basically being sacrificed or or or, or giving in to Lavinia and citing his name in the book then there's not really a mystery, is there, that's supposed to keep us engaged into Bob's journey to find his brother because we know what happened already. Right, it's not like um, Bob, for some reason, had... Because it's explained what the dreams are, technically, because it's like, oh, well, no, Christopher Lee's character um, hypnotized you with that lamp that twirls <laughs> oh, around. Right, yeah. Whatever, and... That's how he got you up there. But then it's like, okay, so that's why it's confusing because I'm trying to, like, think of how this would make sense. Like, you know, like, I'm all about twists in movies, mm -hmm. and but I like them to make sense. I like them to be like, okay, sure. how would you do it? So it's, you know, it's one of a few things. It's like either there is this cult that worships Lavinia in, at night and goes up there. And does whatever they do. Or you're telling me that it's just Christopher Lee doing all this. Hypnotized Bob. Brought him up there. Stripped him down. And just put on all these masks. And the guy with the little undies. With the <laughs> horns. Yeah. Which th that guy was spot on like my favorite that's what especially when he just tears the freaking wooden the, I, holy shit i i like, like to, i like to call him the bondage bailiff um because it's like a courtroom scene and so he's responsible yes. for either whipping people or just like yeah and the sound effect they use was just like boom, like he rips it and yeah. just like oh my god did you have to be that aggressive no and it was like so like intimidating i'm like wow okay like i want to like those scenes like in like this weird trial I actually like I like those weird dream sequences. Mm -hmm. I actually wish I got more of that. <clears throat> to be honest, it's like very few and far between. And you would think a film like this would like play on that more. It kind of just like lazily goes. By the end of the movie, it's like eh, that's boring. Yeah. Like uh... no, it's not. That wasn't boring. Like because because then even Bob when he goes up with Eve. And the whole time, again, watching this, I'm thinking, oh, Eve's probably in on it, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so it's like it's it's a weird film because it's like you have all these tropes in your head of what a film like this, especially, as you said, about folk horror. Mm -hmm. You think, OK, they're all in on it. The whole town is in on it. Yeah. The, the cop is probably in on it. <laughs> Boris Karloff's in on it. No, it ends up just being Christopher Lee is in on it. Or is he Lavinia? Uh, like... It leaves you scratching your head going, 
and I'm not saying we have to sugarcoat it or like you know feed it to you, but it has to make some sort of sense. Like by the end, by the end you go, wait, what was so? Yeah, what happened? Because it's it's it comes down to a question of what who not even who because we know who we're supposed to be rooting for. It's supposed to be Bob, but what are we supposed to be invested? in? In. Is it going to be him finding his brother? Well, we can't because we know what happened, so that's kind of a lost cause. Or is it supposed to be in the over the this this uh this shadow of Lavinia over this family? But it can't really be that because what the hell does Lavinia want? We don't really know. Um, we know that she's apparently seeking vengeance on the Manning line for some reason, but why? I, you know, I, I guess because they were the ones that killed her, but okay f- fine but then what are the stakes of that if if bob does say let is killed what's what's the deal it's not like it's the end of the world it's just the end of bob for the most part um and yeah i i can't say i, I liked the these like bondage trial dream sequences but i at least appreciate them because they were they were something else because the rest of it was just so like boring and it's like okay fine at least this is something else other than this guy trying to trampsing around this British manor kind of be like have you seen my brother who's your brother I don't know who that is and it's like okay rinse repeat kind of a thing and then this romance between him and Eve which makes no sense because they have zero chemistry with each other um and he basically just forces himself upon her one evening and she goes with it um yeah it, it was I I had texted you when I was watching this. I'm like, I I would like to say it looks like someone watched The Wicker Man, except this film came out years before The Wicker Man did. And it has those similarities of, like, the, you know, folk horror, animal imagery, rituals kind of based around this this pagan tradition um, of burning something in effigy or in spirit, a plot that was incited by a missing person, and then Christopher Lee being, you know, at, at at the head of everything. So... Um, I could maybe see how, you know, the filmmakers of Wicker Man saw this and were inspired by it, but Wicker Man at least had this build-up to just this emotionally catastrophic ending, whereas this is just sort of like, oh yeah, um, there's this witch, and um, she's still alive, but we set the house on fire, so that's it. Bye. Yeah, All right, then the- yeah and, and I'm glad, like, to go back to one of the things you said, I'm glad you brought up the whole... Bob and Eve relationship because yeah it's like he's just like trying from the from the get well I shouldn't even say it's just him trying because she tries to like kind of be flirty with him at first which is fine yeah. nothing wrong with that no you know it's it's the swinging 60s you know <laughs> but then like when when and she's still being playful but like about like oh that's your room over there and you're you know you you know you're like okay you know, she's being playful and he tries a little, like, no, no, that's your room over there. But then it's like, no, like, you're mine now. Like, it's like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, like, weren't you, like, like fucking your secretary, too? Like, like, because he was all, like, sexual with her. That, that was the impression I, I had. Right? Yeah. You, you, had, you had the impression, too. Good. Because he was all, like, in her face. Like, like dude, like, like, I am just, like, it's just weird watching sometimes older films where it's like, oh, God, that was... That was a norm. Mm-hmm. That wasn't looked upon as creepy. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it is. It is very and it like and like that that I guess extreme game of tag they were playing at the beginning. Um, oh God! What, what, yeah, uh, yeah, like that's 
see again that's why this film is very weird because it, it starts with like really good potential of okay oh it's because he go like bob sees this woman being chased and he's like what the hell is going on here i'm gonna go save her <laughs> oh what are you doing like like we're playing and you think and you know of course you think okay this is a weird fucking town yep like everyone's in on it this is just weird stuff they do they have this pagan freaking ritual mm-hmm. where they burn a person that's dressed up as Lavinia but then it's not really a person <laughs> I think they since it was so low budget I'm guessing they didn't have enough yeah, money to make, to make an effigy so it's like in one shot it's a person but in the next shot it's it's a stuffed version of that yeah that because that that threw me off too where I was like wait they're burning someone alive and everyone's very okay with this <laughs> <laughs> right and that would have been a cool twist like imagine oh like he looks at it go wait is that no no that's a that's a a, a fake effigy but then it's like no that was really a person <laughs> yeah like, like again this film had like a, this film had a lot of potential i, I actually want to like i will rewatch this at some point i didn't have time to watch it with the uh the commentary because the commentary actually has barbara Steele yeah talking with um um film historian david Duvall, which probably is a blast because like his his commentaries are fun because mm-hmm. he, he's a very fun guy that he likes to talk to like these old filmmakers or actors and actresses about these films because he's such a, a nerd about these things but yeah like it, it, again it's like a weird it's like lost in translation like you said you said it best in the notes on paper this seems like, oh man, this is a can't miss. This yep. is gonna be like a really cool hidden gem. Like, you know, and and that's the thing with Christopher Lee, like like to me, around this era, like, you know, like late sixties, early seventies, to me there's two films that he made that are very much like hidden gems that are finally getting the love they deserve now, which is Horror Express, mm-hmm. which is a fun one with him and Peter Cushing versus possibly the devil, <laughs> possibly some weird demon, possibly an alien, which is why I want to cover it at some point on the podcast. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I love that film so much. And Telly Savalas shows up in that one. Oh. It's great. It's, oh, it's fantastic. And then another one that's another witch movie mm-hmm. called City of Death or... Okay. Or as Amer- like again, what I love is when the Americans got a film, they called it Horror Hotel, <laughs> which just makes it sound like it's going to be like Motel Hell, like like a sleazy. <laughs> no, but that one's a really good. That again, that's a film you watch and go. Chris Lee's very creepy in it, and like, and you're like, oh, okay, this, uh, probably everyone's in on it. And to me, like, I, maybe I had that in my head the whole time rewatching this one, going. Mm-hmm. Oh man, like those are great Christopher Lee films that are finally getting to notice. I thought this one was one of those too. Like, man, I remember watching this younger and liking it. I probably liked it probably because of the trippiness and because Barbara Steele and you got to see Eve's bum at one point <laughs> briefly. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. As a young kid, you're like, Oh, this is great. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's it's just kind of a Eh, that was a film. It's and even even some pieces that I found online, which are sort of like um, appreciating cult horror classic, The Crimson Cult, or rediscovering blah blah. Like even those pieces, for the most part, they're just recapping what the movie is, 
and then paying some lip service to the color palette, which, yes, the color palette, yes. especially in the dream sequences, is kind of fun, but the real-world sequences all seem like they were just shot with, like, one primary light source. It's, it's all very kind of um, low-key. Um, but there's not a whole lot that speaks to why this movie should be appreciated or revisited. One Piece talked about how they were kind of upset that a lot of the S&M and sex content was cut out, which, like, uh, yeah, I hate when stuff like that cut out. I mean, like, like if it's originally in the film, I I'd like to see what it looked like. I'm, I, but like you said, is it going to make it so much better? Yeah, is is that going to change anything, or is this going to be an entirely different film? Like, no, it's just gonna it's just gonna be more kind of titillation and like visceral right. in, enjoyment. Which, if that's your thing, cool. But also, one, it's not my thing, and two, it's 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 incongruous with a, a Lovecraftian adaptation. Oh. I think. Um, well, to me, like, uh, like Lovecraft is to me one of the most asexual. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like everything, like whenever you try to throw in sex into a lot of his adaptations, not I'm not saying it's always bad, but it's always a little weird because it's like you read the text and you're like, there's nothing sexual. No. About any of his stories. No, and like, and like yeah, we I mean we think it worked in in From Beyond, but From Beyond was also a movie oh. that that talked about transcending the physical experience and and that sort right. of thing. So it can it can be done. I don't think it was done very well by Vernon Sewell. Um and, and yeah, l like you said, I I I think the 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 biggest problem with this comes down to listen, we don't necessarily want, you know, it's not as though we want a movie where everyone is in on it, though. Of course, James appreciates yeah. the bleak ending and Wicker Man's is, is wonderful. But it's weird that this guy shows up to this manor or estate where there are seemingly these debaucherous celebrations and pagan traditions going on. And you think they're tied in to, I mean, they are tied into Lavinia, but you think that those ceremonies and all that kind of stuff is also going to tie in to an ultimate reveal but they just kind of happen coincidentally. Like, the, the parties are sure they're celebrating this tradition of Lavinia's burning at the stake, but those people have nothing to do with the cult. Um, Eve is ha, has no idea. Like, it, it's basically just kind yeah. of... Yeah, it's just, it just sort of coincidental that this guy shows up and there's a celebration going on. And, oh, hey, by the way, the guy upstairs, yeah, he is he is the he is the witch? Or he's possessed? I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it, it's all kind of... Nothing is interconnected. It's all just a bunch of things kind of happening at the same time yeah like I, I think one of the most exciting things about the film though was the uh fire department coming <laughs> and seeing the whole process of the fire engine like back then like where the whole freaking ladder comes is the back of the truck mm -hmm. and comes off but and, and that's the weirdest thing like they go to try to save christopher lee's you know character mm -hmm. and he's up there he's ready to like then it's like no, I'll walk this way. I, I need to make a, a big grand uh, finale. Yep. It's like, where the fuck do you go? Like, 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 if you're like, I, I, I don't even get like, like he knows his, the jig is up. So you understand, okay, he's, he's going to kill himself or whatever. He's like, I can't live now because, but then like you said, but he's Lavinia. Maybe. Yeah. I, in, in full disclosure, listeners, um, James and I both, watched uh this on on youtube there are two versions on youtube there's a free version which is about an hour and 22 minutes long and then there's a paid version which is about an hour and 27 minutes long i went for the free version 
and this was a a, a a movie in which I was checking my phone multiple times and didn't really feel like I missed anything significant. But there was a point where Christopher Lee's on the roof, the, the, the estate is on fire, and he's trying to bat away the flames. I looked down at my phone, I looked back up, and now Lavinia is there, and then the credits just rolled. So I'm like, what, uh... Yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> well, it's, well, it's weird because like when they keep showing like the reactions of the townsfolk, like oh, <laughs> yeah, and then like you know Eve is like no, <laughs> and then like Karloff and and Bob are just like what the fuck, and then you see Christopher Lee doing some weird like hand gesture. Yeah, he looks scared at first of the flame, then all of a sudden, no, I'm cool, and then it's Lavinia. And you're like, okay, that that was the reveal. I was looking for like your your hand gestures because listeners can't see it it was either like no. spider-man trying to fling webs out from his wrist or yeah, just it made no sense or or like a, a very caricature uh italian person like hey what's the matter for you kind of a thing yeah, um like when I, I grew up around in brooklyn <laughs> yeah, so but and it's just and listen i i don't i doubt that five additional minutes would have added anything as you say there's something Especially with the Karloff character of someone who's allegedly supposed to be this occult and, and witch expert and, like, all this stuff was happening under his nose and he had no idea. There's an interesting story thread there, but that fi- the film yeah. does not explore that. And um, uh, I, I believe I read somewhere, too, that Karloff was originally going to be, I think, Christopher Lee's character. He had mm-hmm. to bow out because of health concerns, but then when he insisted he was good enough, they had to write something at the last minute wow. for him. So it became this doctor character, but I I, I don't know. Um, I, I I you have watched more classic Who than I have, yeah. which is to say I've watched none. The two writers of this were Doctor Who writers, uh, so I expected a bit more from them, I guess. Yeah, so did I. I mean, that's the weird thing because a lot of the people in this, uh, like like I always joke, if you if you watch British cinema from even like before Doctor Who came out in 1963, if you watch like from the late 50s all the way till now, probably 90% of English actors and actresses have been on Doctor Who. <laughs> sure. In some way, mm-hmm. like something. Even Eve, I think, was on an, an old episode of Doctor Who in oh, 1964. Okay. Mm-hmm. For like five episodes, which is one story usually. Sure. Um, yeah, I always expect more from doctor who writers and that, and this is early doctor who this is like 1968 that's second doctor yeah, at yeah. that point mm-hmm. so it's kind of funny thinking like wow that's how long ago and i mean but again as we saw in this film with budgetary um you know constraints doctor who always had budgetary constraints <laughs> which is why it's always kind of fun to poke poke holes into <laughs> oh look at that alien looks so bad oh, the special yeah because they had no budget like you know, it it looks better now than ever, and it still has budgetary constraints. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it again, maybe the script had more, and they couldn't film certain things. Um, I mean, Suo, like you know, he did a he was a prolific you know director, mm-hmm. and I think his last film was um, a pretty pretty fun adaptation of the whole Burke and Hare story about you know the grave robbers so and then even before that like he he did a lot of like pretty good like um british like noir films in the 40s so he you know he he has talent like you could tell like but again when you go from like the cool psychedelic dream sequences and then kind of then just 
normal run-of-the-mill, like, oh, two people talking. Okay, two people talking. <laughs> it's... Hold on. Let me let me get up. Okay, come with me. Like, it's weird at some scene. Like, some scenes, you, like, it's like, you know, when, when Bob wants to talk to Christopher Lee at one point and goes, oh, I'll, I'll meet me in my study. I'll be right there. So then you go, is Chris Lee running to, like, put away the masks or something? Like, it, it's weird, like, because why wouldn't he just go, okay, let's go to my study? Yeah. No, I'll be right there. Like, little things like that just never make sense to me in, in film. Like, like why? Like, like if, if you know, if, if we're hanging out and I go, hey, Jim, can we, like, it's let, let's say we're at a party. Hey, Jim, can we speak privately? Sure. Uh, meet me in the study. I'll be right there. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm like, why can't you just come with me right now? Like, I, I need to talk to you, dude. <laughs> I don't know. It's very weird. It, I, don't know. Like, I mean, it just seems like it's a lot of page padding. Yeah, and, and you can make a movie where just people talk and it's interesting. That's basically all that Aaron Sorkin does is write movies where just people are talking. But, yeah, yeah right. it, it, it's... I mean, even the dream sequences, which are different, don't add anything because... There's no real tension that this guy is going to sign this book, or, or once again, even if he does, what's what's the harm? I, I mean, we know superficially what the harm is in signing your name in blood in the black book. Like, listen, you don't have to be the most devout of Christian to kind of be like, hmm, that codifies bad to me. Um, yeah. But th there's just like, there's no tension that he's going to do so. There's no real clear picture as to what happens if he does. So it's just, it, it's it's a lot of just here's the thing that happens, here's the thing that happens, here's the thing that happens, then the house catches on fire and that's the end. Um, there, there's there's no dramatic buildup, there's no narrative buildup, it's just, it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of people talking until the end. And that's... That's, yeah, I mean, ultimately, and that's the thing, and that's what's most disappointing, it's like, even if the film was even a little better... Ultimately, it's not that good of a Lovecraft adaptation. No. And it's like, it's kind of, and again, like a lot of films that are, you know, ultimately they go, oh, that's a Lovecraft adaptation. You go, it is in a way, but it's, it's always uncredited. It's like, yeah, it's like almost like these, these writers or people wanted to like get away with a story that, oh, nobody knows who Lovecraft is. So why would I even credit him? Yeah, yeah. What, what is this estate gonna say? Yeah, I, I've won, I've wondered about that whether it was uh, because because this isn't the right? only one that we've covered where no, there's been a the love curse. Cross, yeah, the the curse was one. Yeah, where they just don't credit. And yeah, is it are they ashamed? Do they not think it's going to add anything? Like I, I'm very fuzzy on. And because this is such a low budget, not really popular film in the zeitgeist, there's there's not a whole right. lot of information on it other than just yeah, Tygon. Uh, Low low budget stuff. Tried to rip off Hammer films a lot. Um, I don't know. Tygon doesn't exist anymore. It was folded into something else. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's just not a whole lot on this, and I can see why. Like this doesn't seem like a movie that's that warrants a whole lot of further digging. Yeah, I think uh, besides probably Kino Lorber, which put out you know a really good Blu-ray with a with a few special features too. Which, mm -hmm. Um, and before before we actually end is like what was it just me or like certain certain musical stings in this movie felt like sounded like the losing theme and like the price is right <laughs> like every time some weird like boom boom boom, boom. 
Well, that and that was, and I'll I'll have to link. I'll have to find this article again and link to it because I think some of the things that were lost in the translation from UK to US was not just some scenes, but also the original soundtrack or the original. Yeah, score. they put like a, a more modern score. I yeah. Heard. yeah. And and there is no there's no version in home video that exists right now except I believe like an original if you ha- if you were blessed enough to have like the original VHS release that came out in the UK there's no version that currently exists in as it originally was um, and this article was calling for uh, Anchor Bay to maybe step in and do something like that um, so I'll have to find that again and and uh, and put it in the show notes and on the uh, the Facebook page because it was. Um, it was interesting. It wasn't a great article, and like most horror websites, um, committed the unforgivable crime of a black background with white text, which just I can't. Oh. Yeah, I, I can't look at that for more than five minutes. That like I can't do this anymore. No, and her, no, and, and the only thing worse than that is a black background with red lettering. Ugh. I remember there was one site that would always, and I'm like, I can't read this. Like the article could be the best. It could be an article written by fucking Shakespeare. <laughs> Come back and like writing about scripts but yep. no like if you, that is such a crime yep can't. bad background with oh it, it's, it's it's such an eyesore I, I can't like I'll, I'll have to read like a paragraph and then click over to something else and have my eyes readjust and then get back to it you know what i would do sometimes like back in the day i would i would just cut and cut it all like you know oh. copy it all and then oh. put it in wordpad or that, something just to read that's a real good idea i'm gonna try that yeah, next time i because i just couldn't like i'm like i want to it was especially like friends that work for certain sites, and I'm like, I want to read the article. Like he was like really proud of this article, but it's hurting my eyes. Yep. Like and like I always hated saying that, and and they would agree. Like it wasn't like their choice most of the time, but unless it's like a little GeoCities type, you know, like yeah, that's oh. what it reminded me. GeoCities, um, Angel Fire, <laughs> Tripod.com. Oh god, <laughs> god. Listen. I mean, hell, that was even like like freaking people's like live journals when they would have like yeah. bad. Yeah, bad HTML. It's like, dude. Don't. Listen, my the first and only website I ever created was a Dragon Ball Z fan website because I used to be obsessed with that show, and wow. because I because it was only like free versions of a uh, web building software that I was using, the main one like started on tripod.com. Then you'd go onto this link, which would go to a GeoCities one, because you only got so much data before you had to uh, start paying for everything. And as a teenager, I was not paying for anything. Well, I was going to say, that was probably more interesting than the movies. <laughs> <laughs> James, getting cavities filled was more interesting than this movie. Because um, yes. at, at least there's a buildup as to what's going to happen at the end of it. I'm going to have my cavities filled. And in this movie, right. it's, it's just at the end, it's like, oh, um, okay, fine. Um, exactly. But yeah, uh, um, James, do, do we have anything else on uh, the Crimson Cult? Or can we bring this conversation to a merciful conclusion? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we should just be like Christopher Lee at the end. Just put our arms out and become Lavinia. Done. You know, done. Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, easy enough to get in touch with us if you disagree uh, with any of this stuff. Um, are you a fan of the Crimson Cold? Because if so, we want we would love to hear from you. Moviesofmadness at gmail.com. You can tweet at James at Fistful of Media. You can tweet at me at... Nolan Fixes Teeth, or as our podcast of uh, Cast Cthulhu on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash CthulhuCast. Um, and of course, um, castofcthulhu.podbean.com, and you are uh, free to check out all of our back episodes on Spotify, on Amazon Music, on Apple Podcasts, and um, 
yeah, that's basically it. But uh, next time we were we are going to be covering another classic, and the as I hid, hinted at the beginning, the very first feature length H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, The Haunted Palace from 1963, directed by Roger Corman. So hey, uh, we're, I guess we're going from low budget to low budget this month. Yeah, and we'll 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 see if this is like great Roger Corman low budget or what a lot of people look at Roger Corman later on with like the you know Sharktopus and <laughs> yeah we'll say that which one is it um we'll, we will see yeah I, I mean I, I haven't seen his film in like 30 years I think so and I I have I have uh never seen this movie so this is going to be this is going to be a first time for me um I must admit I haven't seen a whole lot of stuff that Corman has actually directed I know mm. Years ago, I saw. Um, oh, okay. So this is this is promising because this is the one he did right before the Mask of the Red Death. Yes. Yeah, um, Mask of the Red Death is superb. Yeah, that's some good stuff. And this one, like the Mask of the Red Death, also stars Vincent Price. So um, there's some reason to be optimistic. I think. Well, yeah. Hopefully, this isn't like the Crimson Cult where you go, "Oh, this, this is a match made in heaven." <laughs> it's got Vincent Price. Yeah, this movie. But Vincent is... Price is Vincent Price will will deliver. You know he's going to deliver a great performance, even in direct. But yeah. I, I I have a feeling we're we're going to at least like this one more than this than this past one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, here here we're we're I'm holding out hope, uh, but certainly tune in <clears throat> next time to hear um, our thoughts on the haunted palace. In the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house. And really, uh, fuck Trump. Biden won the presidency. End of story. <laughs>